Welcome to TGE the podcast. Today's episode is going to be a follow-up on Bohemian Rhapsody because we couldn't get to both scenes that we wanted to talk about and it also turned out to be one of our most successful, if not the most successful episode so far in the podcast. People had a lot to say. I'm here with Tyler, my friend. How are you? Good, Sven Papa. How are you doing today? I'm doing okay. <laughs> oh no, but you were so excited a second ago. I know. Now I'm somber. <laughs> yes, thanks for everyone for listening. Thanks for spreading the word about the podcast. We enjoy the increase in listens from week to week, and that all comes from you and people being interested in what we're talking about, which is editing, which I don't feel like there's a lot of room to discuss in media. So we're happy that we get to do it. Nice. Nice. And ironically, this movie is one of the ones that started a conversation. And of course, when a movie does that for the editing, it typically turns negative because once you start paying attention, it all falls apart. Right. Right. If you enjoy what you're hearing, subscribe to us. We are on iTunes, Stitcher, and Spotify. Cool. We did get a lot of comments. Should I read some? Yes, please. Thank you. So I've scoured all around. It's still, it's kind of like a little puzzle piece, which could be the theme of the episode anyway, because we're going to look at a scene that's kind of a puzzle piece in its own. Anyway, <laughs> so I got a comment here from Abish. He says, when only the editors are supposed to vote for editing, how could they go wrong? And this is interesting because actually I dug in a little bit to figure out how the Academy awards the Oscars, specifically like the sort of departments underneath the actors and the director and best movie, how that all happens. So Wait, this is the comment? Well, I I just wrote the comment and then I just went <laughs> off on a tangent. Um, Where are these coming from, by the way? Um, this is coming from my YouTube channel, actually. When I did a community post about the podcast, uh, I also have something uh, uh, directly on our podcast page, uh, which is thisguyedits.com slash podcast. And then I also got some tweets here. Nice. So let's get into the Academy voting structure. The way it actually happens is that every Academy member votes for any category where there are nominations for. It is true that only the editors choose who gets nominated, but then it opens up to the entire Academy and everybody can vote on who's the best editor. So that's the process, which may mm -hmm. or may have something to do why this film got the Oscar for Best Editing. Not sure, but um, that's how it works. Well, infamously, Crash was a game changer, which I think I might have mentioned a few weeks ago because that was the one, the Paul Haggis's Crash, where they sent screeners to every single member of the Screen Actors Guild the mm -hmm. first time someone really did that, and they won Best Picture. And so from since then, it has been an onslaught. Yeah, apparently that was a big scandal also that Crash won, that they thought that's uh, that's not a deserving film, as I remember. It's Any, all about the campaign. Yes. So uh, then I have another comment here from Shutosh. He says, or she, the favorite should have won, which um, I'm going to take his or her word for it. Have you seen The Favorite? I haven't. Yeah. How was it? Um, I I like The Favorite a lot. I, again, haven't watched the Oscars for 11 years. I don't recognize them as representative awards for my taste based on the lack of <laughs> awards Hitch Hitchcock ever received in competition. So what do, you, what, do you, what do you need? I can't quantify these things. Right. Taiki says they've had a lot of <laughs> montages. Must have looked hard for those voters. 
So he thinks the reason why this film got Oscars for editing is because of the montages. Hmm? Thomas said, I think it would have been edited at least, it should have been edited at least a bit more smoothly if they weren't going to improvise so much in the ADR, which I kind of think is weird. Also, the Mm -hmm. nature of a lot of these films is that you can cram quite a large portion of events into what should be an average duration for a feature film. And so by necessity, scenes like this where so so much happens should also be very fast-paced. And in my opinion, that tends to do more harm than good. Aside from the editorial Mm -hmm. perspective you and I brought up. You and I being the commenter and... And me. And And I. You. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, But it's interesting. (laughs) There is uh, actually a new video out by... Patrick H. Willems, who's another guy who does a lot of fantastic video essays, and he talks about the broken formula of the music biopic and why they all kind of suck. And um, the challenge, he claims, is that we're trying to cram an amazing life into 90 minutes, and it leads to a lot of tropes and stereotypes, starting from, like, all of these films, they start off with the uh, artist going on stage for this big moment and then we cut back to their childhood where there's a tragic event there's a moment of discovery where they sing in front of strangers and are blown away the strangers are by the natural talent then we get a lot of (laughs) montages performing in front of adoring fans as and also as they work on their first record have their first hit on radio another montage where they tour the success they're living the the fast life, the successful life, there's a lot of womanizing, and then they get into innovating and taking drugs, where they try to take the music to the next level. More montages and marriages become strained, and we enter the dark period that usually ends up in rehab. They clean up the act, they get back to the roots, to the basics of the music, they have this amazing final concert, and we end on a freeze frame and some text that uh, disclaims what happens um, afterwards to the rest of their life. That is sort of the formula that uh, most music biopics follow. And what's amazing about um, his video is that he actually visualizes and proves that with pretty much any music biopic that you could think of, whether it's Cole Miner's Daughter or Walking the Line. What about Sid and Nancy? He didn't mention that one. It's funny because the music biopic I can think of, because the other thing about these is they're major awards bait, these types of things, because you right. get to have the performer, you know, immersing themselves in a, a different well-known celebrity. So you get to see, you know, you have quantifiable acting, as people know it, things like The Doors and stuff like that, Walk the Line is a good example. But the one I realized that it's kind of amazing the attention that this movie got, not saying whether it deserved or didn't, compared to... Straight Outta Compton? Right. Because Straight Outta Compton was like a great film through and through. So it's kind of funny that that didn't come really near the awards attention that this got. When they both, at the end of the day, kind of feel like, you know, pop fun with some important social messages. Yeah. I guess. But this one, you know, it's Freddy and he can't be stopped. Deal with it. It did turn out to be the most successful music biopic of all times in terms of the box office. Yeah, and a lot of that just comes down to it. It's Freddie Mercury. <laughs> you know, like what do you what do you want? What are you going to do? But right. he wins. 
But it is a it is a fun experience, even if, um, as I mentioned in the previous episode, I have some problems with how they really like changed the truth about these things. It is a fun thing. Yes. And it, it is fun to watch a second time, too, which I, I can't say about many films. I have a conspiracy. I don't know if this podcast is the place for it, but... I, more importantly, just, yeah, my reaction in the movie was I just thought it was really fun and entertaining and didn't didn't overthink it. But I think because people are so invested in the band that it's about that naturally, you know, it's going to be under some scrutiny. And obviously it took some departures, as you said. But ultimately, you know, it's an excuse to listen to Queen music and <laughs> in a major auditorium for two hours. And uh, it's it's like, a, I don't know, I think it... I think it finds a really surprisingly good balance for what that experience can be. Yeah, I agree. And I think it has to do with the editing, which... Right, and which we can talk about with this scene. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I wanted to just mention two more comments before we get to the scene. Yeah, no rush. Uh, Dennis said, I saw that clip going around, and he's talking about the one that we analyzed last time about the coffee shop and the manager and he still doubts that it was bad editing he okay so yeah okay so i saw that clip going around and i'm still doubting it was bad editing bad directing or just the members of queen forcing the arm to appear equally on screen and then later on he looked at it and then he tweeted me and said here i fixed the scene for you and he actually (laughs) recut the scene and he took out 13 cuts there were a total of 60 cuts he cut it down to 47 and tried to clean it up and i think he succeeded somewhat in that i wish he would have had the actual dailies then i think it would have really been a success but if you're interested i'll leave a link of his version of the scene <laughs> i can't wait to see it i was also hoping that dennis would rise with a youtube video of this scene cause it just seems like once a year the oscars call for it but <clears throat> oh well well, I didn't. I didn't ask him to do one. <laughs> we never have. He's like Batman. Very cool. Good stuff. And the um, last comment leads to our scene. And Silva says the singing cock must have been the cock. And that's <laughs> what we're talking about today. We're talking about the Galileo <laughs> scene, uh, which I think is a real fun scene. A nice little puzzle. <clears throat> and usually, what we do in this podcast is we actually look at detailed scenes. We play them through. And um, describe to you what's going on in the scene. If you so wish, you can also uh, follow along. There's a link in the podcast description of a YouTube video that is widely available. And then we go back and we analyze the editing and take a take a look at uh, what's working, what might be a problem. Oh, I was going to do my conspiracy. Uh, what is it? <laughs> So the conspiracy is I watched the side-by-side comparison of the Live Aid Fest. Yes. Because I dove in a little bit to what we're, you know, we were talking about last week in terms of fact versus fiction, et cetera, et cetera. And one, they have a uh, Rami Malek doing a rehearsal Why? for that performance, which is pretty cool to see and you get to see brian singer like jumping around in a hoodie um kind of directing it um no mustache on malik by the way no mustache it's fake um which ruined the whole movie for me it thinks the awards should be taken away but uh, i'm i'm just gonna cut this out because i don't even want to i don't even want to get into it 
Okay. It's about how much less sweaty Rami Malek is versus Freddie Mercury because they do the <laughs> actual performance. Yeah. And my actual honest theory is that if they'd followed the true order of events and he hadn't just annou- announced he had AIDS, yeah. he would have been way more sweaty. Uh-huh. <laughs> but we'll, we'll cut it out. We'll cut, the, <laughs> cut this whole thing out. No worry. Um, I do have one question, though, um, since we're cutting this out anyway. Did they shoot it in one? Or did they, <laughs> no like, way. take it apart? They probably did, huh? But anyways, it's really cool to check out uh, the side-by-side comparison. Because, you know. Uh, all right, I'm definitely cutting that out. <laughs> so, am I doing the description or you? This is going to be a challenge because this is a minute and 40 it's super fast. Well, let's They're, set this up. Let's set this up real quick because there's okay. a, a couple versions of this clip going around. This is them rehearsing Galileo, and Sven was excited to do it last week. And there's <clears throat> there's a clip going around that's kind of like just like the fun highlights of it that leads to the trailer for the movie, et cetera, mm-hmm. et cetera. And you sent it to me, and I watched it last night. It was like this isn't it? Like just somehow I knew that it felt wrong and i knew that it was lacking because it just didn't feel like an experience uh-huh. it just felt like the galileo clip and i think this will be fun to watch because we found the actual scene from the film to we'll be able to look at it and all those things that are missing that were just promo things really made it the experience that the film was that i think goes to show what was so good about the editing in this movie and what i'll just say about the oscars is anytime there's a narrative that's helpful <laughs> for things getting awards and people were well aware of the success of this and there's a lot of flashy editing and moments so you know it just makes it easy to award it and i don't know if any movie that was nominated this year is deserving of <clears throat> you know what i mean had the best editing of the year who uh, knows black clansman i thought was a very well edited yeah film. that i guess that's the one that i looked at and was kind of like yeah maybe but i would i would argue that probably stepbrothers was more complicated to edit than vice for Adam McKay, you know, and more was like created in the editing, but you know, it just seems like what's really impressive about editing or never, it's always just going to be part of what the nominee was. Yeah. You know, well, I'll tell you one thing about Bohemian Rhapsody and the editing is I wasn't surprised about a lot of the things. Like there were a lot of predictable moves in the film. For example, I think it's early on. They go from like, uh, this concert, people walking up, and there's like this shot of a satellite dish on top of a broadcast van. And mm-hmm. there's the circle of that uh, sort of is a match cut to the next scene. I can't remember what it was. It was either like a microphone or something. So there were a lot of these things where I'm like, well, okay, this is nice. This has some style to it. But story-wise, it doesn't really – it's not a requirement or like a really genius way of telling the story where it makes Mm -hmm. sense story-wise. So there were a lot of moments like this. Another example is this montage where they're going on tour and we have all the names of the different cities come up and they fly sort of towards the audience. Again, that's something where I'm like, well, I've seen this a couple of times. It reminds me (laughs) of Boogie Nights or whatever. It's not something where I'm like, okay, this filmmaker really like dug deep and found a fresh approach to telling a story. But it was clever. Take that. All right. This is the flip. This is our B side for last week's show. <laughs> so now let's look at the scene that, that we we think it will be hard for people to hate on. I think so. And uh, from the interview that I got from John Ottman, 
in the Steve Halfish series, Out of the Cut, it seems like one of his favorite scenes. He had a lot of fun putting this together. And you can really tell that an editor is just going going for it and just puzzling this together. Let's, let's rock on. I'm really, uh, I don't know about the description. It's going to be so fast. I think you can do it better. <laughs> no way. This is, your, this is your baby. Okay, I'm doing it. You asked me. I'm doing we'll, we'll, it. We'll analyze it. Okay, All here right. we go. In three, two, one. Okay, this is a nice white shot. What? We're, well, on a on a rooster, and he's crowing. No, it's not crowing. It's actually a, a singer in the studio okay. saying Galilei. Freddie. And Freddie Mercury stops the band. He wants. Can you get a bit higher? If I go any higher, only dogs will hear me. Winter cutting right. between the band member who's singing in the booth to Freddie Mercury, who's hovering over the recording uh, machine. And then there's a sort of disparaged recording guy who's trying to just keep up with it. Mm -hmm. The rest of the band members are having fun. Do we even have any tape left? I do have to say, the tape is wearing out. It can't take much more. Yeah, we can't afford much more. Three weeks on the schedule. They're sort of having fun. But they're also getting burned out a little. Tired. But Freddy is on a mission. There's a low angle of him just hovering over this tape deck. Nice profile shots mm -hmm. of the guy singing in the booth. My nuts Lots of inserts of, like, these meters on various tape decks. Right, and then when he hits it, we get the song coming in. And, so yeah, really Freddie moves away from the tape deck. He's excited. Cutting them, actually, in the booth. And then back mm -hmm. to the single guy in the booth. And big crescendo. They're all in the booth. They're stepping backwards and falling over. And all the panels of this booth like just crash yeah. down on the earth. And they're having so much fun. And it's kind of funny because it just kind of... I mean, it'd be so hard for this movie not to work. Just with that music coming in to celebrate that moment of accomplishment. <laughs> and but, they have so much of it throughout. Yeah, no, it's, it's brilliant. The music, obviously. But you could have cut this way more well, straightforward and there is a straightforward version of it which is what is widely available and what we were going to look at and and it's funny when you look at that clip that precedes the trailer precedes like whatever it's called galileo clip it's everywhere you can see what's missing and what's missing is the experience of it because even though they are just recording this scene they're just recording this song and it's making the guy go higher and higher and higher and that could be funny there is a it is a real scene because there's stakes and there's conflict in it. And it's really cool to see with the editing how efficiently they found a way to do it. So if you go through it, obviously we have him. He's not satisfied. But it really gets going at like 12 seconds. You see the other musicians. <laughs> we see him kind of raise his head like, oh, what's going on? Which is just like a great little nugget to drop in that we're going to have some trouble. Yeah. Um, and then they're saying that he's unhappy. And I swear these shots of Mercury listening hold on him a little longer he's a little more dissatisfied and i remember watching it it's like good uh, so, i just brought up the other one so keep talking i'm gonna look at the other yeah, yeah. one to see what you're talking and we about. have it's being set at 39 freddie wants more and we have this close-up and now we're discussing we're running out of tape the tape's running out so it's all these little things and then they're referring to it as Fred's oh, see, thing, whatever, and it's been for 
too, you know, they talk about how, how over budget they are, how much money is being spent on this. So it's really cool because you just in the creation of this one song, you really get the sense of how he really was. It wasn't just like something they tried creatively. He really pushed it and knocked the wheels off in terms of what could be done with recording. And then that wasn't accepted very well. And then it's so cool because even though it's a minute long, there's that sense of triumph and overcoming something. And then boom, you just score because you have that great, you know, chorus from the actual song coming in and then performing it and just killing it. And it's a very kind of fulfilling moment to watch just in terms of the creative process. And again, not something that you could really graze through. You needed to really create that actual sense and experience watching it so that when you do go to the scene where they have to fight for the song, there's just more, there's much more stake in that fight. So I think this is a sign of, you know, we're talking about how the other scene was so quickly edited, et cetera, et cetera. But this is just how through this whole film, we're using those techniques and tricks to just boom, boom, make these things greater than the sum of their parts in in terms of the experience that that the audience gets to have. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I watched the other scene that you were referring to, which was floating around, mm-hmm. and I I have a feeling this is this is an earlier cut that just needed to go out to start talking about the movie while they were still cutting hmm. it, and I think the one that ended up in the movie is an evolution of that scene, which is really fun. Like as an editor, like you do the heavy lifting, you cut your rough cut, and then. You go back in, you start refining it, and then you go back in again, and then you're really trying to find the like the core of a scene. And I think this is what happened here. It's like this is a scene that the director really, or the editor really cared about, went back in and just really played with it. And there are three elements that I can identify that he had and that he just intercut in a way to create this additional energy in this experience that you were talking about. It's basically the guy singing in the booth. It's Freddie Mm -hmm. Mercury standing behind the recording deck, and it's it's this really low-angle shot and slowly moving in on him as he's he's finding the music. Like, this is what Queen is. He's finding the Mm -hmm. soul of their work. And then the rest is basically like in the recording room, the, the band members and the um, tired recording um, engineer. <laughs> oh, interesting enough, the, the like the the manager guy, he's like in the background just casually reading the newspaper. Um, <laughs> he's just going along with it. And intercutting all these three elements back and forth in combination with these inserts really uh, created, as you were saying, that experience. And I think this is this is an editor really mm-hmm. making a scene work. Yeah, in the and edit. not to diminish, obviously, they didn't, you know, just make this up on the mm-hmm. spot. You know, it was written and stuff like that, but really just looking at it in terms of how effectively and efficiently that can exist and how it can be disrupted with the buttons being hit and cutting to those and how just being on the close up of him standing in the booth. Yeah. Like just in, in, and how, you know, we go to the close ups, we start using tighter and tighter shots of him trying to hit those high vocals. Yeah. It's just a really cool example of ways that you can just kind of amplify that dramatic tension. If you know what that, the, the conflict is in the scene. And I mean, I can see like an obnoxious, like, you know, <laughs> four minute version of this scene of course because it's the creation of, the, of this great infamous song you want to hold on it forever but they just accomplished so much so quickly and a lot of that is 
what's so great and enjoyable about this movie and that's why the other scene that's getting all the flack you know it just serves it well because you get the experience of all the characters you get all the tension you get all this flavor in it um and you got to be ready for it yeah it's interesting to note that the the original scene i'm going to call the the other one that's not as complex although i i would just i would argue that that scene is something that was created after the fact for promo materials yeah we don't know they were they just chopped it down to a one minute thing like oh let's take out let's make it can we make it one minute (laughs) it's like that's what you get well it's (laughs) just interesting how it like flows into the next scene it feels like this this was cut that way because then we're cutting to the band performing the same song on stage is it the same song Uh, yeah i think so hold on let me play yeah it's the same song hmm they finish the Galileo section in the song and then the song continues with like another theme and that's what they're performing on stage. Um, Gotcha. My point was that that scene is 40 seconds long roundabout before they go on stage and the scene that we're just analyzed is a minute and 40. So they turn something that could have just lived as a 40 second moment into minute and forty again. I'm assuming this is an evolution in in yeah. that order, and that's great because um, they obviously time is really of the essence in this movie. They had to cut out a lot of stuff. They had to probably lose a lot of scenes, but then they decided, or John Ottman, I, which I feel like he probably made this happen on his own because the director at this point was fired, um, <laughs> is. Um, saying, okay, I'm going to invest more time into this scene to really make sure we have an experience here. Right. And the only thing I would challenge that with is that all the YouTube clips that have like 9 million views and stuff were released in September-ish, in okay. the fall, like a r- shortly before, around the release of the movie. So mm-hmm. just it screams promo p- materials to me, but... okay. We'll find out someday, but the but the idea of evolution of the cut that you're talking about is still incredibly important, and yeah. how that can happen a lot. Things get pushed too far. Everything and then, I say and is then, important. <laughs> well, of course, but um, the perfect. I mean, but the the funny thing is that's I'm trying to think of who it usually is. I feel like there's a there's a stereotype of terms of it's the director or editor that will just take things to a point where it's like, okay, you've now lost all these moments, all that, you know, there's just a point in the edit where it kind of becomes what you're talking about, which is that promo scene. Yeah. And then you have to dial it back and put all that flavor in. And I'm just wondering who it is. Typically the director editor that usually takes it too far and is too aggressive. Well, it can be either. It can be both, right? Sometimes you run the risk of becoming too close. You've seen it a thousand times. You feel like it's not moving fast enough. I think what the one I think the one I'm thinking of is Tarantino and Sally Menke. Yeah. She would take it too far, and then he, you know, he would want it to be this like you know giant flapping thing with no pace at all. Yeah. And you know she would she would push it down to just too tight, and then they would kind of find their balance. That's when they usually say it bleeds when it starts to lose some of its yes emotional value. I'd like to also um, point out how we get into the scene. I think it's really cool that we're cutting to this rooster, this cock, (laughs) 
and we hear a really high pitched voice of Galileo, and then we we sort of have a match cut to the band member. We just see his nose and his mouth, so it it kind of has the same shape as the head of a rooster as he's singing. I think that's <laughs> that's really a cool. And that's 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 actually a match cut that makes sense in terms of the story. I think that's really genius. Not so much mm -hmm. like a round dish pan going to a microphone. Um, yeah, and never mind you're obsessed as a as a rooster farmer. Yeah, <laughs> I also would be curious to see if some of these inserts are maybe pickups. Like, did the director shoot all this on the day like off? Did Fletcher? How much is Dexter Fletcher's doing? Yeah, or if they discovered something in the editing and said, well, we really can play with this scene if we just cut to all these recording devices and buttons. Yeah. there is, And apparently a lot of the, the DP ended up shooting a lot of this, but there are a team that's worked together a lot. But to me, there is something that's a very distinct Brian Singer visual. Yeah. And a lot of these definitely are that. There's a lot of of depth in these images, you know, for such a simple scene, yeah. especially uh, the singer. Um, but yeah, I guess another thing that'll be interesting, I mean, to get into that, I think that we're only really going to learn the degree to which <clears throat> this movie succeeded based on the, uh, how rocket man is <laughs> true. <laughs> Same director falls short. <laughs> Dexter well, Fletcher. Well, it's the director that came in at the end of this yeah, yeah. Um, to the last weeks, but we'll really get to see the, you know, we'll see who, who, who's responsible for what, I feel like, when we see that one. But there's just something, I think, so captivating about the Freddie Mercury story. And yeah. not only that, but, like, Queen's, Queen's ability to connect with an audience and how that informed their music, which became, like, a really smart part of the movie, a cool part of it. I think all that just is... a big re it's just the subject is a huge reason that the movie was as successful as it was um and there's a lot of style and cool stuff within it but we'll we'll see yeah it's definitely interesting i mean once again it's it's a great film on its own but it's representing a legacy that is not necessarily fully honoring freddie mercury so I think mm -hmm. it's it's great experience to watch the film, enjoy it for what it is. But if you really want to, like, really appreciate Queen, I think you you then sort of are required to dig a little deeper. Well, it's funny because I saw this really cool like mini documentary. I don't know where it came from. Maybe it was through BBC or something. But it was about this kid with these giant teeth that got made fun of his whole life and moved out of Pakistan and was a foreigner. And then in spite of all that, you know, became a sex symbol, one of the most famous people in the history of the world. And it's Freddie Mercury. And it was such a different take on that story. Yeah. Um, leading into the movie. And I was surprised going into the movie, like how little time he spends in it you know being worried about you know he's just is so accepting of himself so i thought it was kind of cool that it didn't get hung up on that mm -hmm. you know and, and and was a little unique and i mean and it was just weird there's so many different ways to tell his story and i'm sure there's three more and again my whole thing with this is this movie was successful i see room for like two or three different freddie mercury movies let's <laughs> let's get them going 
let's get the Sasha Barry Cohen version going. This isn't oh, milk yeah. where, you know, Brian Singer wanted to make milk. We don't, we don't need another version of milk. They, they nailed it. I think now we've shown there's room for more, more queen movies. Was it a recent documentary? It, it was just like a little five minute thing. And I'm positive it was part of the publicity campaign for the movie. Oh, okay. Though I've... not technically. The time there was a documentary for... about Queen called Rock the World in 2017. Oh, yeah. But That's there right. There seems to be more about one album. I mean, people are so sequel obsessed. You know, it's such... <laughs> why not just have, like, another Queen movie next year? <laughs> yeah, know, no, it's a little would, different. I, w- I wouldn't mind having a different filmmaker yeah. take a crack at this. Like, every year, there should just be a Queen movie so we can go listen to the music. <laughs> And see people perform it. It'll be awesome. Cool beans. All right. So that's part two of um, Bohemian Rhapsody. And with that, we're going to conclude on that film. We're going to move on to others. If you have suggestions for uh, exciting films that we should take a look at, um, let us know. We'd be curious to see what what's next in our future. Of this yes. Let us know by making comments where, Sven? Thisguyedits.com slash comment. Also on Sven's Twitter and also on the YouTube channel, <laughs> we post. End up, yeah. <laughs> but that's great. And on YouTube, we post a little. Uh, a community post? Oh, yeah. Or on the community post on YouTube, all these places. We're very curious about your thoughts, especially with such a divisive film. People, yeah, are really upset about the Oscars this year which I think points to a broader trend, which is interesting. I wish I could have an opinion about it, but I've always had issues with the Oscars. And uh, thank you for listening. Uh, Thank you to Curter for the music. Tell a friend about the podcast, uh, iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify. Sven always says, happy editing. Galileo. There's no sane zone to put your head between the speakers. There's no sane zone to put your head between the speakers. <coughs> All right. Run outside and get a rooster to do a, a Galileo cry now. Yeah. But they you might have hurt them because they were busy laying as we were recording. There's one right there. <laughs>